You're listening to Curated Consciously, a podcast that empowers our BIPOC and ally community to come together and dive into the work that needs to be done so we can cultivate vibrant healing environments from the inside out. I'm your host, Jasmine Rain, Curator-in-Chief and Social Entrepreneur coming at you from 9,000 feet in the Himalayas. You can connect with me in our community on Instagram at Curated Consciously and continue the conversation with us after every podcast episode in our Conscious Badass Facebook group. Now roll your shoulders back, get comfy, put the coffee on. It is time to deep dive into some thought-evoking conversation, Curated Consciously. Jelaine, what has been the most rewarding part of your incredible journey in discovering your heritage while just thousands of miles, literally on the other side of the world from the Philippines? That's such a good question because honestly, there's been so many different parts to it and it's been a really multifaceted journey. Um, on top of my journey really being like linked to this journey of entrepreneurship and understanding you know, what I really want to do with our business and who I want to be, like at the same time of learning the ropes of running a business and a social enterprise, I've also been learning how to reconnect with my culture, my Filipino roots, and translate that into this business and into this platform that we're building. So truly like the most rewarding part um, is really just like feeling just seen. Like I really just feel the sense of expansiveness of like who I am and just really being rooted in, you know, what my beliefs are, my core beliefs, who who I want to serve and really connecting also with others in my community because uh, I didn't grow up with that very strong connection to Philippines or really understanding what it meant to be Filipino or feel, feeling even Filipino enough for most of my life so truly I think in this past these past five years of being on this journey of entrepreneurship and then also at the same time rediscovering my Filipino side of my identity truly it's just been this one long like personal development camp <laughs> sort of thing. Like it feels like I'm, I'm um, at this like campground where I'm just truly like exploring all these different parts and just growing into who I am. Mm, that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I really resonate, like that really resonates with me as someone who grew up in a white community and uh, I was actually just writing about this the other day, like not feeling black enough to like, mm. uh, you know, like hone that part of my identity and to like express my experiences or feel valid or validated like mm -hmm. in those experiences. So I'm I'm curious, like just take us back a little bit uh, just to get an understanding of, you know, in not in that feeling of not feeling enough in your identity and in your culture, your heritage, you know, what kind of helped you get out of that mold? Um, you know, from my understanding, uh, you also grew up up in in North Toronto as well correct where you currently live I well I actually grew up in Scarborough okay. um so Scarborough which is like very diverse very immigrant neighborhood so I spent the first part of my years I think when until we were until I was 12 years old I grew up in Scarborough and then we moved to Markham uh which is like the suburb of Toronto before Markham became as diverse as as it is now um but yeah we went from being in this neighborhood that had all of these different cultures and people who were immigrants like like my family was to now being in Markham where it was like suburbs and I was one of the few non-white kids and you know everyone was talking about cottage weekends and I was like what's a cottage 
So really it was, yeah, it was definitely this transition of, of going from a place where everyone had really similar backgrounds, though different, and but we were similar because of our differences to now being like one of the few um, and having this divide in terms of race, but also in terms of like social class and background. So yeah, definitely that was part of my formative experience, I think, of like trying to understand or also starting to feel like I don't feel enough, really. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've, I feel like my community, like the, the women of color in my community have expressed something very similar where they went from diversity to very like suburban, uh, like white communities. And it was just such a, it's such a overwhelming, I feel like experience. I actually went through the opposite where I was like living and growing up in a white community and obviously with a single mom. And then, you know, in middle school, like I, I only had like one black friend until middle school. Um, and then it was like, whoa, explosion of culture. And it was so exciting. You know, I, I'm curious in, in that time, in that community, did you feel uh, what, well, kind of like trying to, trying to feel comfortable and connect with a community that didn't really understand your culture, where you're from and your roots, you know, what parts of you did you find that you kind of masked, you, you masked or, um, you know, were there, were there, um, were there times where you kind of, you know, tried to like keep up with a stereotype or do different things that kind of felt that it was taking you further away from where you wanted to be? <laughs> yeah, that's such a great question. And thank you for asking that because that's something I've honestly been trying to unpack over the last few years of like, what really happened? You know, you go through it, you go through the motions and you don't realize how far you, you kind of wandered from your roots and from your real identity when you're just trying, you're honestly just trying to, to survive, um, and trying to fit into the groups around you. So for sure, there's so many times where like, I truly tried to distance myself from other Asians in the group. You know, I would try to, um, I remember being in first year university and some of my roommates, because uh, we lived in a suite dorm and so some of my roommates were Asian and then uh, the large majority of them were white. And I remember like trying to distance myself from the Asian group because I didn't want them to think that I was like one of those Asians, um, you know, and it was like a lot of that internalized oppression and internalized racism. And, and I remember like also just making all those Asian jokes that we would make as kids where it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm more of a banana. I'm, you know, white on the inside and yellow on the outside, or uh, even just making jokes on like Asian stereotypes of like, oh, Asians are cheap. Haha, <laughs> that's so funny. Um, and I realize now when I look back on it, a lot of that behavior was, you know, it was me trying to, to fit in, trying to find a sense of safety. Um, and the way that I could feel that safety was by really yeah, like really downplaying the sides of myself that were, you know, that were Filipino, that were Chinese, because I'm half Filipino and half Chinese. Um, and it also really impacted my relationships. And this is something that I've had to really come to terms with in the last two years, especially since last year, where a lot of us had very difficult conversations with the people we love. Um, but what I realized is with most of my white friends, 
um, who I had known in high school and then in university that I really never felt seen in a relationship and that I, that our friendships were always based on their terms as, you know, white people where I felt like I really, you know, couldn't speak about certain parts of myself or that, um, for even a long time, like they would, they would have experiences like, for example, at the cottage where they would go to cottages over the weekend. Um, and then I, you know, I had shared that, like, I've never been to a cottage. Like I, I didn't know anyone um, until I met them who even owned a cottage. And I remember them being like, oh, that's so weird that you never did that, you know? Um, and I realize now that, of course, that's just something that is just really not part of our culture. It's also something that as immigrants, we often don't have the money to be able to afford um, those sort of things. And for a really long time, though, I just thought that that was me being weird. Like there were just lots of times where I just felt really out of place and I just thought I was a weird person. And now I realize so much that it was like, you know, it wasn't that I was weird. It's like, I was just very different. I come from a very different background. Um, and a lot of that was linked to just being like a non-white person in a very white mm. spaces. So. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, again, I'm resonating so much with this, which is so, it's, it's so great to just connect with these incredible people that you admire and you love and you have these similar experiences and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone in the world. Uh, because, <laughs> cause you know, I, I feel like it took me, you know, it took me like 18 years to accept my curly hair. Like I, I straighten my mm. hair every day to fit into my community. Um, so, yeah. you know, and, and something that I'm, I'm really hearing here, this like this cottage idea. So like these kind of cultural norms that, you know, you're not really familiar with that are kind of, you know, very associated also with like social status, like, you know, to own a cottage, mm. like you, that's like, oh, it's owning the second mortgage, you know, <laughs> especially in yeah. Ontario. Uh, like if you're going to like oh, yeah. Soka and all these places. Um, but, you know, so what I'm really hearing here is that like you just, because, you know, you wanted to feel safe and you wanted to feel, you know, you wanted to find some kind of comfort in a community that obviously was not going to understand your experiences. Um, you know, you really had to kind of shed layers of yourself. Um, and mm -hmm. it sounds like you've really, you know, uh, pick, been been putting, the, you know, getting those layers back out, putting them on, smoothing them out, you know, uh, and, mm -hmm. and really reconnecting. And I'm curious, you know, when you look back, uh, and, you know, and I'm sure I'm, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only individual in your life who who can, you know, resonate with these, you know, and connect on these same experiences. So I'm curious, you know, why do you think it's so hard for us to to reconnect? Like, why do you think, especially in a country like Canada, where it's just like this incredible melting pot of diversity, but still we could be placed in a community, um, you know, uh, you know, m usually a white community and feel mm -hmm. like we can't be ourselves. Why, where is the disconnect there? And why does it take us so long to reconnect to our roots? That's such good questions. <laughs> I feel like that takes a lifelong to explore. And like, I honestly <laughs> can't have all the answers there. Just something that I like, as you're speaking, I was really thinking back on it. And one thing that I want to say is like, you know, it's taken me a long time um, to really understand these issues and even understand and forgive myself for those past things that I that I did. Um, because for a really long time, I felt ashamed to be Asian. And then as I started, you know, coming into my own and then also meeting other friends, you know, other BIPOC folks who have also had some experiences like you. Um, and th like, then I felt ashamed from 
for being ashamed in the past. And what you realize is like, there's just like this ongoing spiral of shame and guilt that happens when it comes to like, you know, um, not being white enough first and then not being black enough or Filipino enough or Asian enough, right? As we evolve later on. And I think it's like, there are so many just different messages that we're being told. Like, it's really, really hard to navigate, honestly. And I think first, um, the first thing that I would just want to say for anyone kind of like experiencing the same things or thinking the same things is to like give yourself so much grace because whatever you you did in the past, um, you know, the ways that you had to change yourself or assimilate yourself, like that was you trying to find safety and trying to keep yourself safe. And there is no shame in that. Um, So that's the first thing that I would want to say. And then the second is like when it comes to, like you said, you brought up a really great point about multiculturalism in Canada. And it's really so hard to unpack because it's so hidden. Um, But I've been reading uh, Policing Black Lives. I don't know if you've read that, but it's um, Policing Black Lives by Robin Maynard. And what you... It's it's so good. I'm not I'm only 50% through but it I've learned so much and one of the things that is said in the book is that multiculturalism as a policy in Canada is really was actually a way that was used to mask the systemic racism and history of slavery and genocide uh that happened in Canada and that continues to systematically happen to the Black community and especially to the Indigenous community mm-hmm. in the country. So I think that's also something for us to like need to take a step back and ask ourselves, like when we talk about multiculturalism in Canada, you know, what is that, what does that mean? And who is really benefiting when we, um, you know, when we uphold these images of like a pluralistic or multicultural country and is that really true when it comes to like policies of immigration of the you know education of the criminal justice system so many of those things once you start to peel it back you're like are we really multicultural Mm. in the real the deepest sense because those are things that like I've like so many of us have also been asking ourselves and we're in Canada itself is not immune to you know racism there's it is we were built on racist principles as well. Um, And so some of the things that I would also say around that is like exposure to different cultures, including your, you know, your own culture is not the same thing as understanding or acceptance. Mm -hmm. Again, so again, exposure is not the same thing as understanding. And even for myself, you know, I think this kind of also ties in into this idea of multiculturalism is like, Um, I was exposed to Filipino food, to Filipino culture, to Chinese language, even, for example, there's different festivals, there's different restaurants, there's this richness in our landscape of cultures in in the country, yet I was never encouraged to really explore on a deeper level what that meant when it came to food, for example, like where, where did this food come from, who made it, like what are the dynamics of power that exist um, in order to put this food on our table, for example, in our language, like what, you know, what is the history behind the language that we're speaking? Like, there's so many questions that we can ask ourselves, but, but because we kind of just accept that base layer of like, oh, we're multicultural, we love different cultures. Um, and 
if we just accept it at that, then we're not encouraging ourselves or others to really dig even deeper of like, what does that mean behind that? What does it truly mean for us in our lives and for our communities? And I think that's, I think that's part of the challenge is because we are, you know, there are so many different cultures and we're exposed to different cultures. We think that that's enough when it's like, how about going deeper than that? Mm. Oh, so powerful, Delaine. Thank you. Thank you for all of that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, because it's funny, I, I think, you know, sometimes when I think about Toronto, I'm like, oh, I miss the festivals and like, you know, the different mm-hmm. foods. Oh my gosh. I just remember that amazing event that you had a few years ago where I had like the most incredible Filipino food ever. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But, you know, there's, <laughs> it's like, we have this kind of platform to celebrate cultures uh, different cultures and diversity, but yet there's still like this missing link of like diving deeper and really understanding the trauma and the pain and and the need and the support and what it means to be an ally, um, I think is also like a mm-hmm. whole other topic because people, people are still trying to understand what that means, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I think a big example of that is like, you know, even with everything that happened last year in the US and all the riots and uh, the incredible amount of Black lives that we lost alone in 2020, you know, there's so many people that remained silent, so many people who didn't use their voice, they didn't take action, you know, they might have posted a black square, thank you so much, but, you know, but yet, (laughs) yet they're, they're the ones who are um, you know, many of them are appropriating Black culture and are, you know, they love different parts of it and they get to pick and choose what they want from it. You know, I'm going to take the rap music, but I'm not yeah. going to, I'm not going to deal with the police brutality. And um, yeah. so I think that's a, a great point that you bring up. And I think it, you know, thinking about Canada, I feel like at some point, I, you know, I, I know it is getting better because I feel like communities are really coming together to support each other. Um, however, I feel like at one point, everything was very much about kind of like ticking off a box. It's like, okay, well, our department's all like old white men. So maybe we should like hire a woman. Okay, maybe let's like hire a a woman of color. And, you know, okay, let's like have this festival. Let's like, you know, let's bring in more black speakers. And it's like, these people have been here the whole time. Like why now? Because you, like these voices have always been there and they've been powerful this whole time. We don't need you to just tick off a box in your corporate, (laughs) your corporation, you know, for us to feel, Yeah. yeah, to feel for to for us to feel validated like that's that's some bullshit honestly but I feel like I'll derail yeah. us if I like keep going there but <laughs> what I think is so powerful is that you've given this beautiful reflection um you have this beautiful story of, of really stepping into your identity and you know I have had the privilege to observe your incredible journey and watch you really hone your voice when it comes to, um, you know, diving deeper into your culture and your heritage and sharing that with people, diving deeper into social justice, justice, and honestly, like seamlessly integrating it with your passions and your beliefs and into all of your marketing, which I think is just so, so powerful because I feel like inclusive marketing and storytelling is so inaccessible uh, for so many people. Uh, and, and, you know, just the, the not knowing how or the why, uh, you know, a lot of, I feel like the why is a huge thing there. And, you know, I think with, you know, marketing, there's a huge aspect of like us needing to really decolonize the mind. Um, so mm-hmm. I'd love, you know, for you, you're a social entrepreneur, you're a storyteller, you're a marketer, you're this, you're, you're really this incredible activist and, and, and speaker for really the justice and the good that we want to see in our communities, in our world. So, you know, tell us a little bit about that journey and like, what has it been like kind of 
unpacking what it means to come into that, you know, come into these incredible roles as a leader and be a woman of color in the marketing space? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> it's been a journey for sure. Like, um, <laughs> honestly, when people ask me this question, like, I think, I think because now I have this like really strong idea of who I am and the impact that I want to make. Like I specifically want to amplify BIPOC owned businesses because I want us to build wealth. And because when we build wealth, it goes back into our communities. And that's the only way that we can flip the power dynamics that exist. Those who control the wealth control the money. And that's just the truth when we live in this capitalist society. And so like, how do we flip those power dynamics then is by giving wealth back to the people. And so that's what I'm like really, really adamant about and something that like has become one of my core missions. But honestly, it was not like this linear journey where I just like came out and like realized that this is what I wanted to do. And it really was this journey of like first trying all these different things and really also trying to fit in again into these white spaces. And even when we first launched Cambio and Co, um, it was initially called Cambio Market when we launched five years ago. And it was because, you know, at first we were actually catering to that white affluent whole foods eating yoga person um, that so many of our, you know, so many sustainable brands Mm -hmm. try to try to tap into. And that's just because that's like what we are taught. You're taught that those are the people who should be valued. Like those are the people who have the money and who, if you want to be a real business, like those are the people you need on your side. And what you end up doing is again, whitewashing yourself and whitewashing your stories and the brands that you, the brand that you're creating and your journey. And we did that. Like I ended up doing that for the first two years of our business. And it was really after like so much soul searching and like unhappiness where I just felt so inauthentic and just so oppressed. Like I felt oppressed running my own business where I felt again, like what I had to really water down my story and the impact that I wanted to make. And it was after again, going through that emotion of like just feeling so down and like guilty and ashamed that I was like, you know, if we're going to run this business, if I'm going to be sharing these stories, like I have to do it in a way that feels true to myself and like really own, like really own that part of myself and step into that role as a leader because like our community needs leaders. And like, I didn't really grow up with a lot of that representation. Um, And what you, just to quick thing of what you had said earlier about, you know, um, having like more black speakers, for example, speak at conferences, which is like, of course, important and something that people should have been doing all this time. But like diversity is not the same thing as representation. Having like a few black people in your photo shoots is not the same thing as having a business that actually truly cares about the black community and listens to their voices and values them as customers as well. And so those are all the things that like I've been thinking about and that I was also realizing that I was ending up doing the same thing and like kind of emulating these similar types of like uh, power dynamics where like white customers are kind of on top and, you know, we're just trying to cater to them. And it was after that solar session, I realized like, let's, let's not do this. Like, let's focus on Philippines. Like I, we created our business because we wanted to amplify Filipino owned businesses and Filipino social enterprises. I am also, you know, trying to reconnect with my heritage and understand that and unpack it at the same time. So like, how can I bring 
our community along this journey with me. And that's when um, I, I can't even say I didn't have a background in marketing also when we started our business. So really everything that I learned about marketing was just truly me trying to unpack all these complex, complex feelings that I was having and my desire to also like just understand who I am and where I came from. And then just wanting to share that, those learnings with people that were willing to listen and like read what I was writing. Um, And that's really kind of where I learned marketing, honestly. So when we talk about decolonizing marketing, um, it's truly an approach that I've learned to embrace um, because decolonizing marketing and decolonizing storytelling is truly just linked back to like, how do we share stories in a way that really center us that no longer play into these ideas of white supremacy that challenge existing dynamics of power. And that also just like make our people feel truly seen and valued. Like that's really at the end of the day, what, what, what brands exist for, like as a brand, you exist to serve your people. Like, uh, so how do we actually just create a brand then that exists to like serve the Filipino community? That's really the motivation behind Cambio and Co. And then that's when I also realized how, uh, like how there are so many other brands who kind of have similar desires as, as I did and just didn't know how to go about it. And without feeling sleazy and without doing all those like marketing bro tactics of like fake scarcity and all this stuff. Um, And so now I also have made it part of my work to like actually work with those brands and, you know, do marketing consulting, but using marketing strategies that are really linked to, you know, authentic, authentic storytelling and just really creating content that resonates with your people and that empowers them rather than makes them feel ashamed or guilty Oh, so powerful. I was like snapping at one point, my head was banging. Um, there's so many golden nuggets that you just you just shared. I just want to unpack a few because sure. I feel like I feel like we could talk for hours about this because it's it's also such an incredible topic. Yeah. Um, but uh that line, challenging existing dynamics of power is so huge because I feel like you know, the marketing world has really just ex- exploded in the last couple of years. And specifically around digital marketing, obviously, as we mm-hmm. just completely, we're just a completely di- digital um, uh, population now. That's just where we're at. And, you know, I, I feel like in that transition, I like was subconsciously realizing that people were starting to realize that, oh, there's actually people out there like me who would love my products or love my services. And like, I'd actually would rather be working with them anyways. Uh, and they, you know, they can actually financially support me in my growing my business and I can support the people that I want to help most um, instead of just targeting like the white majority moneymakers. And I, I feel like I was definitely, you know, uh, I started a nonprofit at like 18 years old. So like I had, I didn't know anything about marketing, but I knew how to go after people with money to help support the causes we were going for. <laughs> and, you know, all of those people looked very much the same. Um, um, and, you know, it's interesting because uh, I've noticed it more and more, especially in working in India and working with um, like locals here and also realizing that there's this beautiful connection where it's like, obviously, we're, you know, in the social space or in the nonprofit space, um, you know, you can still 
really dive into who your audience is and really, and, and, and as long as you understand where they're at and how you can support them and how basically creating win-win situations, especially when you're focusing on doing more good in the world, you know, there is actually so much more opportunity for growth. And I don't mean just financially, but in terms of absolutely visibility, feeling validated, feeling recognized, um, feeling like, you know, as a consumer, it's like, oh my gosh, like you're making a product for me. No one's done that before, which is just like the most insane thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't think I even came across like a, like I don't wear makeup anymore, but I don't think I ever came across like a foundation that like actually fit my skin color until I was like in my 20s. <laughs> Like I can't, I can't be just white, just brown, and just black. Like you, you know, just like thinking about the diversity and just like makeup and how that's expanded. I think is a huge uh, example of where we're headed with um, opportunity mm-hmm. for products and marketing. And um, oh gosh, there's so many other things. I have like a million notes that I'm, I wrote here. Um, <laughs> one another thing that you had mentioned was feeling unauthentic and oppressed in running your own business. That is so heavy. And, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious in reflecting on that. And I'm thinking about kind of the marketing you were observing, you know, what are some of like, you know, especially for our community that doesn't really work in the marketing world. Um, and, and, you know, maybe isn't as like privy to understanding like, you know, brainwashing and greenwashing and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, what are some kind of common issues or like triggers that you've observed, um, in content, especially like in e-commerce and in the social spaces, um, where you feel like there was just, uh, you know, where there was just so much opportunity to be more diverse and inclusive, but, you know, a lot of companies and brands decided not to be. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. There's so many. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, there's just so many. So I think like things to look out for as, as a consumer or just someone who's like on Instagram, for example, is like, you can often see, who the brand is catering towards and who they are trying to serve. So regardless of whether they are a business that's owned by a person of color or not, you can often see what they value in terms of who they are centering. And so most oftentimes this is white centered marketing. Um, Many of us fall into it just because like you said, Jazz, like you know, going after the people with the money. And oftentimes those people look really similar. So what you can notice is really like, you know, are the models all all white? Um, When we talk about brands that have aspirational lifestyles, oftentimes those aspirational lifestyles are linked to whiteness. And you can really see that with brands like Goop, for example, uh, where really it's like you're, you know, you can already picture it. So the models are all white. And oftentimes when even when we talk about sustainable fashion or social impact brands, you often see that the models are all white. The ones who are wearing the products, the ones who get to look luxurious and like aspirational, um, they're white and blonde and skinny, whereas you have all the workers like the laborers the even the artisans like all of them are often you know black or brown folks from working in their villages and so there's really that disconnect that you're seeing and even though there there's that in the intention is to show the people who made the products which is you know great and that's beautiful and important at the same time like why is that same representation 
of culture and richness and diversity not also then represented in terms of like who gets to enjoy these products, who gets to benefit from this labor. Um, and so that's like one thing to really look at. The other things is truly also like, you know, culture as an aesthetic or commodity. And oftentimes like you can notice that from like Buddha heads in the background as being part of decor or even like certain um, indigenous elements that are being used as a way to sell products when there is no link when the team itself has no link to indigenous culture. So for example, like saging or smudging, like those things, those are very ritual practices, um, like like smoking Palo Santo, for example, um, those have cultural and ritual significances. And it's like what, who as brands, like what, uh, what right do you have to use those things, you know, other than using culture as kind of a backdrop to to sell more products? So those are like other things that are really triggering um, <laughs> for me. There's also generally like the attempt to elevate a culture, like the need. There's, you know, it's it's such a capitalist approach where it's like you can where people will go and then they'll think that they have a right to elevate a culture. So for example, um, the most recent example I can think of is like a group of people who chose to um, create a brand to have clean quote unquote Chinese food, because that implies that, you know, Chinese food in the traditional sense is like dirty or unhealthy. uh, When really it's like, you know, those people were not, are not Chinese. They don't have a like, an understanding of Chinese culture and to also just come in there and think that you can, you know, you have a right to imply that you can now elevate this whole, this whole rich, diverse, you know, cuisine. Um, and that you have a right to do that is like another thing that's super triggering and pretty offensive. Um, and then it's, you know, again, a lot of these things link back to these power dynamics. Cause it's like, those who have the money have the power. And so if you're a brand, whether you are, you know, whether you're white or you're non-white, if you are, again, catering to the white affluent people who have the money, then again, what we end up doing is enforcing these existing power dynamics. We don't challenge them, you know, um, and like, those are things that we really need to think hard about when we choose which brand to support as well. Mm, amazing. Thank you for sharing that. So it sounds like a great place to start for our community who's kind of like unsure how to how to move forward with a brand is really to study more of their visual content and understand, you know, where they're bringing in diversity, where their values are aligning with their content, or if they're not aligning with their content. Um, uh, so I think I think that's like a huge element, a place to start. And I feel like it's really easy to get lost in that cycle. Like I, I've definitely been on like an Instagram page before. I'm like, oh, like this is a cool brand. I really like this. And I'm going through it and I'm going through it and I'm like, okay, something's off, something's off. And I'm like, oh, it's because I am not represented in any of these images, (laughs) you know, or or the language is inaccessible. Um, and and that's huge. And, you know, and I guess just to kind of pivot us more to talk about more of your journey, you know, thinking about the accessibility piece, the representation and really ensuring that your, your values and your goals are aligned, like to kind of give our, especially for, if there are entrepreneurs in our community who are listening to this episode, you know, what did you observe after kind of shifting your marketing, basically going through that marketing 
interesting pivot with Cambio and Co. Um, so, you know, really stepping into that that seat and realizing like I need to take the lead on decolonizing, you know, all of our content and really pivot to speak to the community that I want to work with. And what was kind of the the first kind of impacts, reactions uh, from your audience, with your audience, um, both, you know, both mm -hmm. positive or if there was challenges that our audience can, can really learn from? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, to be honest, it was like a wonderful response. And I think that once we actually made the pivot and we were like, you know, we're going to center Filipino stories on our blog. We're going to write about Filipino history and Filipino culture. And I'm no longer going to, you know, I'm no longer going to define terms that most people in our community know. Um, so there is, you know, those are really intentional shifts that happened, both in terms of visuals, like really focusing again on like Filipino models um, and also Filipinos in the Philippines as well, rather than just Filipinos in the diaspora. And the language that we began to use also was just more like, you know, we as a Filipino community, for example, whereas before I would say things that was like trying to be like inclusive of non-Filipinos as well. Um, and what we noticed is that it was just like this really big shift in positive responses. Like we already had people who loved what we were doing, who were Filipino, who saw themselves in my story, which is like a wonderful feeling. And just when we decided to make the pivot and go all in into this storytelling, into really sharing our, our stories from the community in a really authentic way and genuine way, that's when people like, you know, it just grew. Our community just grew so much faster. And I think it's people landed on our page or on our website and they just saw themselves represented immediately. And that was really just amazing. And it was so validating to also see that, um, you know, that there is value that people are looking for this type of content and that they truly just want to, they just, people just truly want to feel seen. Like they want to feel represented and to not feel like just a prop or like a token in someone's marketing or brand strategy. Right. So, um, yeah, it was really just like a wonderful response that we got. And we do have people, you know, some of the responses um, from people who are not Filipino, mostly mostly white people, kind of like see what we do now. And they, you know, they'll say things like, oh, well, why do you sell only to, like, why do you talk only about Filipinos? Because like non-Filipinos wear jewelry too. Um, or even some people have said like, oh, like this is such a great idea with Cambio and Co. Like now you could actually expand to other cultures as well. And it's like, no, like my culture is not for sale. People's cultures are not for sale. They're not commodities. This is not us doing this, like, you know, playing the race card to get your sales. Like this is us just showing up as our full authentic selves and really being loud, brown and proud and like just being us and sharing our stories in the ways that we want to share it. And this has nothing to do with you, <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah. So that it was really empowering. Like it was, it was just empowering and it really called people to us. Um, yeah. It just really has grown organically. And that's what I really advocate for with really brands I work with is like, just, you know, find your people and just really, you know, allow yourself to be seen in your own business. Sorry, I didn't unmute myself. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, and also, I was like smiling over here. Like you really inspire me in your story because I honestly think the hardest thing to do is to actually just 
hone who you are and to just fully show up as yourself and to you know, go out and find the community that you're looking for, find the community you want to work with, the community you want to connect with, and also the community you want to learn from and teach as well. Like there's so much, there's such a beautiful exchange of value and storytelling and beauty and history and culture on your platform. And um, it's, 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 it's honestly kind of makes me sick that people are like, like, hey, me too, in the background, because it's like, well, you know, not everything has to be for you, you know, like, not everything's yeah. been for the Filipino community, not everything's been for the Black community, so, like, can you just hold up one second and let us yeah. celebrate <laughs> and embrace the, this, you know, the incredible culture that exists outside of your world, um, so I, I think that's really, really powerful. And, you know, I wanted to kind of leave our audience with like a really beautiful kind of takeaway around being a more inclusive leader in like their business or their content platform, as well as in their community. But, it, you know, I feel like you really summed that up really well. It's, it's, it's really just showing up as yourself. And I mean, you know, I, for a lot of people are still struggling with that. So like, Jelaine, what does that look like? How do you, how do you just get the confidence, the courage to just be like, fuck everything. I'm going to just show up as myself. <laughs> what, what are, give us a few kind of steps that we can give our audience of like, how do you make that happen? <laughs> oh my goodness. Those are oh, really good questions, but also super hard. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Cause also like, I don't, um, like I don't, I also don't want to give people the impression that like, I am like this fully confident person and I'm like, I don't have any worries or fears or anxieties, but honestly, I feel anxious a lot. <laughs> like, um, doing this and like showing up and also being a very, you know, being visible online the way that you are too, jazz, like that takes courage as I'm sure, you know, it takes courage to be seen and, um, a lot of vulnerability to create something and then put it out there for other people to consume and to respond to. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not like you'll, it's not like there's this point where you reach and you're like, I am so fully enlightened, but really what I, one of the things I tell myself is like, as creators, as, you know, as entrepreneurs, as anyone who just like creates anything for the world, like you can't, res you can't control how people will respond to what you create all you can really control is how you choose to show up and how you stand in your truth and that's something that I've really honed and like I remind myself that every day <laughs> um especially since last year like last year in 2020 was one of those years where so many of us were forced to have these very uncomfortable conversations with the people in our lives and i I still get really anxious when I post things online or when I, you know, when I do talks or when I do even these kind of podcasts where I um, am very vocal about like anti-racism or anti-oppression or social justice issues. Um, that's always scary. That's whenever you say something important, that's always going to be scary. But I think it's like, you just have to trust in your truth. Like all you can really do is be honest and, you know, practice, like courage comes with, it's just a choice to be courageous. And oftentimes the, the best leaders that we see and the, the leaders that I admire are not people who are fearless, but they're people who just, you know, they do it anyway, even if they are like scared shitless. <laughs> so um, that's, yeah, that's really the best advice is, is you just can't control 
how people will perceive you or how they'll react to the things that you say or do, but you, all you can really control is, is yourself and how, how you choose to show up. Oh, a hundred percent. I feel like our generation is also so, uh, we're, we're so blocked by like imposter syndrome and, uh, the fear of failure and, you know, needing to, especially I think in the age of social media, like needing to show up as like your best self and you're living your best life and everything's amazing. But like, really that's just toxic. Like there's so much shit that mm -hmm. we need to dive into. And I think, thank you for, uh, you know, using your voice to help our community understand that. And I think what's really, really golden that you just mentioned is the fact that like, it's a journey. Like it's, we're always growing through it. There's always new things to learn about ourselves, about how we show up, how we can be, how we can be better for ourselves and do better for ourselves and heal ourselves and nurture ourselves so that we can show up even more for our community and the people who need it most. Um, mm -hmm. So that's really beautiful. Thank you, Jelaine. Oh, I need to bring you back on the show because there's so much more to talk about. <laughs> yes, please. I would be so happy to be back. This is an awesome conversation. Inhale the goodness. Exhale the bullshit. Thank you for listening. And thank you for doing the work with us. If you're still feeling a little heavy after listening to today's episode, join us on the Conscious Badasses Facebook group. That is your safe, inclusive healing space to connect with the community that gets it. Together, we dive deeper into each topic with reflection questions. There's additional resources there available for you. And overall, it's just an incredible space for you to let it all out, especially if you feel like you don't have the right community during this time. To access the group, just hit us up at facebook.com slash groups slash conscious badasses. And of course, you can always find the link right in the show notes. Now, don't forget to breathe, eat your veggies, and if it feels just a little too heavy, take an intentional pause. What can you do to feel a little lighter, a little brighter? You got this. <laughs>